Standard Gateway welcome, our friend, Brian Connolly. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Love you so much, man. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. I was sitting there, and I was watching Carrie and the baby, and I thought to myself, I'd really like another one of those. And... Oh, my gosh. But I've changed diapers for eight years, and I just don't know. Like, that sounds so selfish. I just don't know, Tammy, if I want to do it again. But, um, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, is that girl in here that was raising popcorn? Is she in here? Did she? Yeah. Man, buy her popcorn, guys. I'm serious, man. Like, like Firestorm, like, it's, there she is. She's out there. Uh, she was selling that thing, man. The popcorn tastes good. Just go, like, I don't want to see her have any more popcorn. Like, just buy it all up, all right? And uh, Carrie leaned over to me. She goes, aren't you guys near there? Isn't your church near there? So, like, if you, anybody goes up there, we're literally, like, a half hour down the road from that place. We love Life Center. Um, I won't be around that weekend. If anybody's up there and you want to stop by, like, I'll be doing a men's retreat that same weekend because I wanted to go to Firestorm because good friends of mine, Mike and Dean Van Hall, are going to be there. And they are some of the most precious, sweetest, God-fearing people there are certain people that you get around, and I mean this, the, the level of holiness they walk in causes me to be like. And when you get around people that live the way certain people do in the holiness that they walk in, that light shines on you. And just every time you get closer to the light, you reveal what it, it reveals what it is that God's still working on in you. And it's good. I find that the ones who are more aware of their weaknesses are the ones who are the closest to the Lord. And it's okay. It's a, and I pray that you guys would never, ever lose. There's never a moment of your day, there's never a moment of your life where you don't need more of Jesus. Not once. Amen. Not once. And Tim was telling me last night, and the things that he was going after, I, I, can I, I'm, I love your pastor. <laughs> and I know you do, sweetheart. I know, I, <laughs> I love you too, man. I love how you amen me, like you get me fired up. Listen, I, I want to talk to you about your pastor for a minute. This is off script, and it's okay that it's recorded. I've, I've known Tim for a number of, of years now, and I can spot out phonies, and I can spot what's real. And he has one of the purest hearts of any person I've ever met. And just because your heart's pure doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, the pure in heart still sees where it is that they need to grow and where it is that there's still, there's still things that need to be adjusted. And I know last night I was addressing things like trust and, and things that have been broken and covenants that have been breached. And, and I, I, want you to, I want you to know, now I, I didn't pull Tim aside and he didn't slip me a 20 to say this to you, so I just want you to know that. But I, I do believe that, that you can trust him in his heart. And I really believe that God put him in this place for a reason, and you, you can trust where it is that he's going. He genuinely, see, I was, I was telling, I was, man, I'll tell you what, man, I'm getting fed well this weekend. You have no idea. Sue Chuck can make food, and man, Carl was grilling up venison, and that was amazing. And The thing that impresses me the most about King David, it says that in Acts 13, he was a man after God's own heart. Now, here's why. See, a lot of us think, well, it's just because he wanted to be intimate with God. See, it's, it's more than that. It's more than just being intimate with God. If, you're inti- if your intimacy doesn't lead to movement, you're not really intimate. If, if your intimacy doesn't lead to action, like you're probably inflated on the things that Paul warned us about in Colossians 3, 
about vain imaginations and visions of angels and all those different things. And I've encountered people like that, man. They want to sell you on how prophetic they are. They want to tell you all the things that has happened to them. But their life's in disarray. And I'll tell you this. A lot of times what happens is, and, and, and I learned this from, from, from a man by the name of John Bevere, who over the years I've really come to respect and admire. Dear God, I can't think of a man. There's certain people in life that have just really impacted me. He's one of them. And he says there are typically two types of people in the church, and I've been around these kinds of churches, where either they'll emphasize character at the expense of power, or power over at the expense of character. And listen, I don't care how great the anointing is in a person's life, it doesn't mean that you're dead to self, and it doesn't mean you haven't dealt with certain issues in your heart. Anointing means nothing to me. In fact, anointing without death to self, or anointing without the fear of the Lord, is absolute destruction. And you can ask King Saul how that went down. But the thing that impresses me the most about King David is it says he was a man after the Lord's own heart. Why? Because he wanted to do the will of the Lord. And I believe that's Tim's desire. So I want to exhort you this morning. This is not the word, but I'm just going where I feel like the Spirit's leading. Please do me a favor. Please, please, as often as you can, lift him up in prayer. Even, even Paul asked for that. That doors might be open, Paul would say at the end of letters. There are things that get intensified because of leadership. Intimidation will get intensified. People and agendas will become intensified. Control becomes intensified. There's all kinds of temptations that will come in an effort to stop you, and stop forward motion. And that's the thing I was hearing in my heart when we were sitting here during worship. Guys, it's what I was talking to you about last night. There's only one motion in the kingdom. And I'm not here, like I said, I'm not here to spank anybody. I pray at the end of the day, like, I want the love of God formed in me more than anything else. I want to be controlled by love, like Paul said. But I don't want to be afraid to say the hard things either, but this isn't a hard thing. But there's only one movement in the kingdom, guys, and it's not okay to stand still. It's not okay to want to go backward. Even David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, that's the thing, guys. Faith doesn't deny the valley. We're not going with our eyes closed and fingers in our ears. That's just strange. No, it acknowledges what's happening. It acknowledges that there's sickness. It acknowledges that fear is real. It acknowledges that sometimes we walk through stuff that we don't understand. It acknowledges pain. But at the same time, it sees your heart sees something that's greater than what it is that you're walking through. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Why? Because those are more important than your two eyes. Your two eyes can accumulate facts. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to see with your eyes, think with your mind. Come on, rationalize, figure it out, try to understand. But God wants you to hear with your ears and believe with your heart. And he wants your heart, which by the way, is the most valuable piece of real estate to the Lord. He wants your heart to trump what your mind is trying to figure out. You believe with your heart, make confession with your mouth. The pure in heart is who see God. You climb the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Those that seek me with all of their heart, they'll find me, the Lord says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I can go on and on and on. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Guys, this is a you you look at David's making process. I wouldn't want that thing, man. 
I, I, sometimes I think a lot, a lot of us, like, we, we get a word from the Lord, like, we know that we, we get a vision for our life, somebody comes in, they prophesy, and we have a dream, and some of us just want to skip the making process, some of us just want to take matters into our own hands, and that's not the Lord when you're trying to force stuff. You can't kick doors open, you can't, listen, that stuff becomes manipulative, twisted, and weird. You let God, listen, if it's from the Lord, man, and sometimes your dreams have to go through a dying process, ask Joseph. Your stuff, listen guys, it's, it's guaranteed pressure is going to come. The squeezing is going to come. You're going to walk through valleys. But what do your eyes see? Does it see the valley or does it see the one who's with you? Does it see the rod and the staff that comfort you? You put your hand to the plow and you keep moving forward. You can't look back. And why am I telling you this? Gateway, I'm telling you this because the Lord, like I said last night, there's things He's reawakening, guys. It's forward motion, forward progress this year. There is no more going back. You're not allowed anymore. You cannot. You can't look back. You can't consider what was or what could have been. Like Tim was saying, Tim, you did a great job summarizing it. Even in football, guys, like even in football, forward motion is rewarded. You got a running back that breaks the line or a wide receiver that's going downfield and somebody wraps them up and they move back five yards from where they were. They'll, they'll put the down, they'll put the football where the last forward movement was, was, was happening. It doesn't matter how much the enemy resists, guys. The, the Lord's going to honor the, mo- the momentum that you're carrying. You're going to break through. You're going to move forward. Why did I wear the Eagles jersey? Well, let me tell you. No, it's not just to irritate people. <laughs> As I'm telling you, like, sometimes I can be a prophetic weirdo. That's not my goal. But I am telling you, I, I'm telling you, what's happening with that team is extremely prophetic. Now, I love them because I'm, I'm a Philly boy, and I grew up in a Philly household, and I live an hour and a half away from Philly where I grew up. But I'm telling you guys, what the, Lord, what the Lord is doing in you this year, what He is doing in the church at large this year, is He wants what's inside of you to come out of you. He wants the glory that... Listen, the, God Himself is jealous for the Spirit that He's put inside of you. He wants the glory of God that's within you to come out and touch somebody. But if we are not careful, there are things that will cause that thing to fall asleep. Lack of use will put it to sleep. That's why Paul's telling Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Why? Because you can allow it to fall asleep. Listen to me. Responsible sons and daughters practice stewardship. Entitled sons and daughters think they're owed more than what they have, and they're not appreciative for what's been given to them. And all orphans do is compare what they have or what they don't have with what everybody else has or what they don't have. But like Bill Johnson says, if you and I find out who we are, we'll never want to be somebody else. So let me just talk to you about some of the things that God is up to this year. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Responsible sons and daughters practice stewardship. Entitled sons and daughters don't appreciate what they have, believe they're owed more than what they currently have. And orphans compare what they do have or what they don't have with what others have or what they don't have. Yeah. So, thank you. No, It's not me, it's God. Anyway. 
There's a shift. See, man, I'm, can, I just, can I just talk to you from my heart? I hate some of the generic prophetic language that we use. Please forgive me. I just can't think of a better word than the word shift. I know it gets thrown around a lot. There's a shift that's coming to the body of Christ this year that's moving us from who we are to why am I here. The two greatest existential questions, questions that center on existence, have, there's two of them. Who am I? I hope that's settled by now. You are His son. You are His daughter. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your life is hidden in Him. You are seated with Him in heavenly places. And that's the other thing. The Lord is bringing us into an awareness of the authority that we carry. Not to dominate. Not dominion theology. Not to dominate people. Not to coerce them in the way that we think it should be. But to exercise proper healthy authority because God will allot to you a sphere of influence. And if we practice in stewardship what's been given, see, but even if the motive is I want more, guys, at the end of the day, like, we just need to be okay with the fact that Christ died. That's amazing. That's amazing. And if he never does anything else, the rest of, like, I'm going to be with him for all eternity. And the greatest men and women of God lived for that day. Those that did the most in this life thought about that day. I promise you. Paul Paul said, we're all going to stand one day before him, give an account for the deeds done in the body. And guys, I don't want to be like the one who buried what was given to him and said, I knew you were a hard and exacting man, and I just buried what was given. And he said, give me what you had, and I'll take it away from you. And he said, you call for, call, bring to me the worthless and wicked slave. Man, I will tell you, like, there's language that Jesus used that we're afraid to preach anymore, and God's changing that. There are things that he expects. He's not just my dad. He's not just my father. He's not just my friend. He's not just my lover. He's my master too. And there's things, like I'm telling you, like, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the father's love. I'm thankful for that message. I love it. Like it changed my life. And I hear all the time, you know, it's the kindness of God that leads men to change. And it's true. But what keeps you in that place? The fear of the Lord keeps you in that place. And the church, oh man, I've got so many things in my heart right now. Because the Lord told me back in August, the move that's going to come to the body of Christ, the next wave of the Spirit is the fear of the Lord. Because we have treated holiness as common. We've taken, we can't even show up to church on time. There's no reverence in worship anymore. And we're wanting him to move. Now you asked me, if you went to a friend's house and you kept, and they kept ignoring you, would they want to keep talking to you? Every time you rang the doorbell, every time I go to Matt's house, Matt just goes, oh, geez, and rolls his eyes. I'd be like, dude, see ya. I don't want to hang out with you anymore. The Bible talks about work out your salvation with not love and kindness. Oh, I'm on it now. There's a consecration and a sanctification that's coming to the body of Christ. 
where the church is going to bid farewell to the world in greater ways than you could possibly imagine, where holiness becomes popular again. You know what? Holiness is your best life. It's the life you were created to live. And the fear of the Lord lays... I can't believe I'm on this right now. The fear of the Lord lays... I I went to the Netherlands in, in September. And they brought me out. They're like, we want you to come out. We want you to share on identity. And we want you to come out and just tell us who we are. And I said, okay. And the Lord wouldn't let me do it. He had me preach on this thing the entire time. Because the fear of the Lord... Guys, listen to me. I feel like standing up on this pew. I don't even know if it's okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. So many, you guys know this, you all started in kindergarten. I have a master's degree. I didn't wake up one day with a master's degree. You've got to progress through a system. You've got to progress. Listen, it talks about in Romans chapter 3 that what benefit is there of circumcision? Well, great in every way. Why? Because the Jews had the oracles of God. What was one of the oracles of God? What did they understand more than anything else? What were they commanded to do time and time again? Fear the Lord. And when you understand the fear of the Lord, grace has so much more of an exacting and more powerful meaning. But you can't separate the two. To fear the Lord means to venerate Him. It means to honor Him, to respect Him, to give Him first place. It means that you care more about offending the one you can't see than the one you can see. And the fear of man has put to sleep the gift of God in you and I. Intimidation will put it to sleep. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it says in Proverbs 1, verse 7. But if you keep going in Proverbs 2, it talks about if you cry out for wisdom, if you, if you cry out for, for understanding, it talks about then you will have understood and discerned the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing Him. Proverbs, or Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is for those that fear Him. It's about, I, I don't want to do anything in my life. Guys, listen, there are certain things that I just, I can't do anymore because I, 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 the appetite for it is gone. Like, I just, I can't let my eyes or my ears, it's, it's not legalism, I love Jesus. People are like, what are you saying, I can't? No, it's like, pe- people that, the pe- The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's strong confidence. It's boldness. There are countless verses over and over and over again. This is how I know the Lord said to me. Because one day I'm driving. I'm driving. I'm coming back from the gym. And it's like early in the morning. I get up at 4 o'clock to seek him. Then I go to the gym. I'm at the gym by 5.30 in the morning. And then I'm driving home to help get the kids ready to get on the school bus for my wife. And I'm driving home. And all of a sudden this verse comes in my mind. It said this, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. And I said, I know that's somewhere in the Bible. I know that's somewhere in the Bible. So I go home, and thank God for Google, man. Like, I, I, know, I know the word, but there are times where I just don't know the address of every verse. So I just, I went home and got on Google, and it talks about in 2 Corinthians 7, 7 1, because you and I have these precious promises. Promises about how, and if you think God will unconditionally father you, you're wrong. And I will show that to you biblically. Promises like that if you come out from the world, if you remain separate, that if he will be a father to you and all these things. And it talks about this. Well, I'll just go ahead and open my Bible to it because I think I'm not going to do it justice. I'm going to turn this. I can't believe I'm on this topic right now. You want to know where this came from? Aside from this verse that I'm telling you? 
I preached on this in the Netherlands and people got up and confessed their sin. Because it's not a game, guys. One of the people on the worship team, a young lady, probably 20, 21 years old. Actually, the way it started was I was so on this thing because I was sharing time and time again people who started out well. Let me just talk to you about Jim Baker for a minute. You guys remember Jim Baker? Televangelist? What happened? Fell into sin sexually and morally. Got caught with all this money stuff. You know what happened? He went to prison. Read somebody's book. This person came to minister to him. The person said, the book that I read, he said, other than the Bible, your book has had more impact on me than any other book that I've ever read. And, and the person said to him, said, Jim, when did you stop loving the Lord? He said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I loved Jesus all the way through it. In the midst of all of it, I loved him all the way through. He said, you know what happened? I stopped fearing him. And he no longer was my master, and I became my own master. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Why? Because we're all going to stand there one day. And I don't, I don't care if you call him friend. What I do care about is that he calls you friend. And you are his friend if you do the things that he asks you to do. Now, that's not in an effort to prove to him, see, I'm your friend, Jesus. When his, see, when the fear, the fear of God's rooted in the love of the Father, it's a powerful combination. But I don't want to do anything to jeopardize my relationship with him. I love him too much to do that. So, yeah, there's certain th- guys, can I tell you something? This is going to get heavy. Are you okay? If you're entertained by what it is that Jesus paid to, uh, and died to forgive you from, that's weird. If you're being entertained what he died to forgive you of, that's strange. Now, I know this is going to sound legalistic. It's not okay to be watching stuff like The Bachelor. It's just not. You're filling, listen, your mind, you're... You are, you are what you eat. Amen. You've got to be careful with you. I'm telling you guys, I, people like Todd White, like, when, those guys fear God. I'm not talking about being afraid of him. That's different. God brought Israel, listen to me, God brought Israel out of Egypt. It's a picture, guys, of the born-again experience. God raises up a deliverer. He brings them out of Egypt. What does he do? He doesn't want to first bring them to the promised land. He wants to bring them to himself, because before he takes you there, he's got to bring you here. And he says this, consecrate the people. Why? Because God will get you out of Egypt. You've got to get Egypt out of you. There are times, yeah, where you'll be born again and all things are new and everything. But I'm telling you, man, there's sometimes your mind needs renewed and there's still trash going on and we need to learn to think like Jesus. But if I'm taking in the world's trash and I'm not taking in what this says and I'm not alone with him, and that's why I'm so, pr- I'm so proud of your pastor. I can't even tell you. His zeal around discipline. We have this thing in our church called Habit Academy. Because people need godly habits. You need goals. It's all about your routines. And the greatest men and women, John Wesley would get up at four in the morning and seek the Lord for two hours. Roland Baker's grandfather would pray in tongues for three hours every morning. 
And I don't, I don't know where uh, Anthony's at, but he was right. He said, you don't just stumble upon this thing. You don't just wake up one day and you're super Christian. No, you seek him with all diligence. You pursue him. You chase after him. Why? Because it's the life that I was made for, guys. You don't put sand in the gas tank of a car. It's not going to get far. And when you and I live outside of our created value, we're not going to make it. And the number one reason, guys, why people are falling by the wayside, the number one reason why we're not exercising more diligence and we're not more serious and we're not more committed is because we lost the fear of God. And you're treating as common the things that are holy. I take my position and my authority very seriously. I'm going to give an account for it. Let not many of you aspire to be teachers. You're going to undergo a greater condemnation. What's that mean? My choices don't just affect me. They affect you. I represent God right now before you. God forbid I came in here and I'm preaching and I've got hidden sin that you guys don't know about. And please do me a favor. Please do me a favor. Relationships are so stinking important. I can't even, listen, you need best friends that know you inside and out, that know you when you're being a weirdo. And they call you out, and they're not yes men, and they tell you the hard things. If you're running from the hard things, if you're defensive, you're already exposed, dude. You're already exposed. You know you're doing wrong. The first sign somebody's not doing well is they remove themselves from the fellowship. They've removed themselves from the light. Because the light will shine and show what it is you're up to. So God brings Israel out of of Egypt. And this is what he says. Consecrate the people. Listen, I am convinced. I am convinced this is coming faster than we realize. The fear of the Lord is going to bring a revelation of his majesty and supremacy. And Leonard Ravenhill was right. What the church of God needs is a revelation of the majesty of God. Where we honor, esteem, venerate. We care more about what he thinks than what the world thinks. I'm going to stand before him. He's going to say, well done. Not you. And I don't want to get there one day and find out that all my excuses were a cover for pride and fear. So he brings them out, consecrate the people for two days. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. There's a scripture I'm going to read to you here in a moment from 2 Corinthians 7 that sounds almost exactly the same of what it is that he's telling the Israelites to do. Consecrate the people, Moses. Have them wash themselves. Cleanse their garments. I'm coming down. He's, oh, I'm going to flip this pew. He is coming back for a pure and spotless bride, not one that sleeps with the world, guys. I heard a story one time told by a person. She, was, she, was, she carried the presence of God. She was dying of cancer. She's in her hospital bed. And this, this preacher went in and she began to recall to him this experience that she had with the Lord. And here's the experience. The Lord came to me the other night. He stood at the foot of my bed. He said, I have one problem. Because she was asking, how come you're not coming back? You have, the spirit and the, and the bride say, come. He said, it's, it's, it's not that I don't love my bride. He said, I deeply love my bride. I have one problem. She doesn't love me. Amen. Amen. 
Because here's the shift that's coming this year. It's going to shift from he loves me to I love him. We ought to have it settled by now that he loves us. The cross testifies to that fact. I'm not waiting to feel it. I know it. Because he declares it. The issue is not believing it. The issue is receiving it. And you have to take the love of God. And by faith, you have to start there. I don't care if you've got to be like Joyce Meyer and for a year, drive around in your car and say out loud, God loves me, till you finally accept it. So God comes down, and there's one problem. There's thunder. And listen, you're not coming anymore to Mount Sinai. You're coming to Mount Zion. And let me tell you something. Now I'm up on the pew. If the people under the law live holier than those under grace, something is wrong. It's, it's wrong. Grace is the empowerment to live a holy life. He doesn't need anything from me, but I mean, I want to give everything to him. I owe him everything. A living and holy sacrifice. So he brings the people out and he says, I'm coming down. And you know what happens? They become afraid. And I'll tell you why. Anybody can hide in an atmosphere of good worship services and miracles. But you can't hide when His glory comes. And when His glory comes, and it's coming to the... I feel it all over me. My hairs are standing up everywhere. When His glory comes, there's no hiding. You will be found out. And those that love Him and fear Him will run to Him. And those that don't will run away and they will shrink back. And the only one that truly feared him was Moses. And Moses drew near. And this is what he said. You want 20-20 vision? Exodus 20, verse 20. He comes down and he tells him this. I've come down. He says, don't be afraid. I've come down to test them that my fear might remain in them. Why? Because when I fear him, I won't turn to the left or the right. I wouldn't dream of doing something that he's not okay with. How is it that you've got a Joseph outside of a revelation of Jesus Christ, not filled with the Spirit of God, and he has every opportunity to sleep with Potiphar's wife? Nobody's looking, guys. Nobody would know. And he says, who am I that I would sin against the Lord? Where's that reverence in the body of Christ? Where's the love for holiness? And please, hear me. It's perverted when we pursue character over power. It's backwards when we pursue power over, you know. You can't do one without the other. But I will tell you this. God is more interested in character than he is in power when it comes to you. Character sustains your ability to walk in the anointing. And God wants to increase it in us. God wants to multiply it. Here's here's another thing that the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is obedience. When it's hard, when it doesn't make sense, when it costs you everything, why don't you ask Abraham about that? And some of you may not like this story, and I'm I'm not so sure I like this story. Anything in life has the ability to take the throne that's only reserved for God in the center of your heart. Your kids can take it. Your spouse can take it. 
Your church can take it. Your leaders can take it. Your possessions can take it. God, in the, early in the morning one day, tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. It's an interesting statement because you all, there was also Ishmael before Isaac, but I'm not going to, that's another sermon. Now think with me. He didn't wake up and consult Sarah. This is what I love about Abraham. He woke up and he went. Because if he would have went and told Sarah, if I would go and tell Nicole, babe, listen, I know, I know Emma just turned 10, but I feel like the Lord wants me to offer her up. Man, she would smack me silly. She said, you're not doing that. You didn't hear from God. Come on, think with me. There's a lot of things that God asks people to do, and, and if we're not careful, we're talking people out of faith more than we are building them up. So he begins to walk. Now think with me, man. He's on a three-day journey. That's a whole lot of time to wonder if you heard the Lord right. Audible or not. Why? Because all the promises were riding on this one boy, and if we're not careful, that boy can become the apple of our eye. And all of a sudden, there's more of an affection for him than the things of God. And all of a sudden, he's sitting on the throne of... of Because the moment man fell was the moment the things God created for us to enjoy had the ability to become our source of significance, purpose, love. But there's only... It's only one throne. It's only him. If you want to see divine order come back to... I'll tell you this. There was a church in Brazil. They've got thousands upon thousands of members. I was down there over the summer. Thousands upon thousands of members. And, and this one pastor was interviewing this one Brazilian pastor. He's like, I don't understand. Because like a lot of us, we're employing different growth models. And we got the Barna studies. And this is how you grow a church and this and that. He said, here's what's the difference between us and you Americans. We preach on eternity and eternal rewards. And you guys don't preach on it. So these people are doing what? They're taking, and maybe we'll go there tonight, they're taking the gift of God that's in them, and they're using it for his image and glory. You know what God said to me one day? I woke up, I thought I was just going to the bathroom. Sometimes he talks to me when I'm in a stupor, heading for the bathroom. He said, Brian, if my people would learn to pray like my son prayed, the world would look completely different. And I said, I knew he wasn't talking about our father, and I knew he wasn't talking John 17. Father, they're in the world, but keep them from the enemy. And he wasn't talking about that. He said, Brian, when my son prayed, Father, glorify your name. Come on, when you pray that way, by default, that means somebody else's name ain't getting the glory. And you can't touch his glory because he doesn't share it with anybody else. But there's a lot in the church, if we're honest. You want to know one of the biggest things God's going to deal with? The celebrityism that's in the church. If you are about your name, your agenda, your issues, do yourself a favor now and pull the plug. It's about him, his kingdom, his character, his glory. That's why you're here. His image, his likeness. If you want to see divine order come back to the church, the fear of the Lord has to be back in the church. Honoring his structure, honoring the way he wants it done. So Abraham goes up and he's got, listen to me, man, he's got his son's carrying the wood. 
He's got the torch and he's got the knife in his hand. And he's going up. Dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. Could you imagine this? Don't just read your Bible. Let the Bible read you. Let it show you where you're at and where you're yet going. And uh, Listen, he's so kind. He's so merciful. I pray that you're not hearing anything other than the fact that his, his love is in this message, guys. He loves you. But the moment he doesn't have, we can't put up there preeminence in all things without the fear of God. He won't have first place in all things if you don't fear him. He won't be first in your home, in your parenting, in your, in your relationship with your spouse. Why? Because the fear of the Lord keeps me innocent from making it about me. The number one reason I'm hurt and offended and disappointed is because I'm at the center of my universe, and here's a newsflash, it ain't even your universe. Whenever somebody hurts me, my first question is not, how could they do this to me? It's, why did it bother me? Because that thing that got hurt is the very thing that still needs to be crucified. And when it says, when you let go of your life, you find it. The word life there is the Greek word for psyche, which means you've got to let go of your soul. You've got to let go of the way you think, the way you feel about it. Because the way you think and the way you feel centered on the fall of man is what's destroying you and keeping you from pursuing the way God sees it and the way he feels about it. So Abraham goes up. He lays his son on the altar. He raises the knife. He was actually going to do it. Because Hebrews 11 reveals to us, even though there hasn't been a resurrection yet, that he just considered that God was able to raise his son up from the dead. He believes so strongly in the prophetic word over his son. Now watch this. If we really believe in the prophetic word over our lives, we will let go of what's been promised to us knowing that he will bring it to pass. You do not have to bring it to pass. It's not your job to do it. Can I tell you something? Because I teach my prophetic school students this. If you think I asked to be an itinerant minister or a prophet or a pastor, you're wrong. You know what I've done? I've sought him and it's followed me. I didn't ask for any of it. I didn't ask to move a certain way. I didn't ask to be a certain way. If I never step foot on another airplane, I will not be broken because of it. If I have to go back and work on a golf course, I'm fine with that. My hope is not in my position. I don't hand out cards with my title on it. And if, by the way, if you're called to it, the office will come fully furnished. Because what you do reveals who you are. It flows out of your being. No, signs and wonders follow the believers. It's the same way. I chase after him. All I want to do is know him. The goal of the Christian life, guys, is that. There's no higher calling to the Christian life than to seek the face of the Lord your God. And he's never changed his mind about that. That was Paul's goal. Paul never asked to be a better church planner. He never asked to preach the gospel more efficiently. He never asked to see more signs and wonders. He said, one thing I do, I let go of what was behind. I keep pressing forward for the upward call that's in Christ. The things that were gained to me, I let go of. I just want to know you. And here's a prayer that I'm not praying. I want to know the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. Who's praying that? 
I hear all the time, I want to know what I'm called to. We can tell you what you're called to. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. In the same way that Christ suffered as an example for you, so you're to follow in his footsteps. There's your calling, boy. Not celebrity, not your name in lights. In fact, when they asked Billy Graham, what's your greatest fear? He was outside of Madison Square Garden. He said, it's that right there, and it was his name in the lights of Madison Square Garden. You have to be the steward of your heart because everything in life will flow from that place. Guard your heart above everything else. That's a strong statement. Because out of it flow the issues in life. That means this, everything in your life comes out of your heart. Everything. You want to know what's in a man? Just watch how he lives and listen to what he says. That's what has his heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, I told Carl this this morning. The Spirit of the Lord, now you think with me, passed over seven of David's brothers. Why? Because he saw something in the heart of those boys that disqualified them. You don't have to be perfect to have a pure heart, but God's not going to work with pride. He'll oppose you. And like Dina Van Hall said at my church one day, and it stuck with me ever since, humility is not the fruit of the Spirit, it's a choice. You choose to be humble. And God will raise you up. And the only reason he's opposing you is not because he can't stand you. It's because he wants to raise you up so you'd humble yourself. The discipline of the Lord is because he loves you, not because he can't stand you. He chastises every son that he receives. There's a scourging. I'm okay with all of that. Because I don't want any of me. And the transformation comes from the renewing of my mind. I'm learning to think like Jesus thinks. But it's not going to happen if I'm feeding myself on trash. There's a diligence that needs to be applied. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. There's a discipline. It doesn't happen by accident. Anthony was right, man. It doesn't happen by accident. Everything I have in this life, you might say, well, Brian, it's because the grace of God that's on you and you're a grace gift to the body of Christ according to Ephesians 4. I get all of that, but I promise you, the things that come out of my mouth is because when you're not there, I'm doing something. And I'm waiting on him, and I believe he wants to talk to me, and I believe I'm worth talking to. I believe my life has value and meaning before him, and I fear him. I'm not afraid of him, I fear him. Perfect love wants to see how oh, I love this. Oh, people. Oh, man, here we go. Well, Brian, the fear of the Lord is not for today because perfect love casts out all fear. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to squash that right now. You're telling me the Lord who delighted in the fear of the Lord, according to Isaiah chapter 11, you're telling me God is casting out of people what his son delighted in. Wrong. He's talking about the fear of torment. He's talking about the fear of punishment, not the fear of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's all over your Bible. As long as you're on the earth, conduct yourself in fear. It's all over your Bible. Those that fear him are welcome to him, the book of Acts says. It talks about after Ananias and Sapphira dropped over dead that the fear of the Lord was so prevalent in the church that the sick were coming out. The streets, guys, Jerusalem's a big place. It's not just Route 13. And they were hoping Peter's shadow might heal. Listen, 
Why? Oh, man. I don't know how this is going to go over, but I'm going to say it anyway. The greater the glory, the swifter the judgment. The whole reason why Phineas and Ferb, I can't remember what his other name is, but Phineas and Samuel's sons, the reason why they were able to get away with what they got away with, thank you, Hophni and Phineas. the word of the Lord was rare. The greater the presence of God, the swifter things are executed. You have, I know this isn't popular, and I'm really okay if you guys disagree. I am, it's fine. But you look at Abraham's sons, and they go and they offer strange fire. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord. And you know what Moses' admonition to him was from the book of Leviticus chapter 10? He wouldn't say, let's, this, is, this is insane to me. He didn't say, let's go and mourn your sons. He said, don't you remember what God has said? That anybody that approaches me must approach me with fear and reverence, trembling. And Abraham's like, okay. What's going to happen? See, we, we, I have this, I, people tell me all the time, I've just grown weary of hearing it. Well, we're living in the greatest revival since the day of Acts. Baloney. Sorry. Nope. 120 people turned an entire area and region upside down. We have voice of the apostles in Lancaster. I don't even know if Lancaster knew we were there. When God's glory, true revival, brings change everywhere. It's not just refreshing in the spirit. There's a change. And I believe if we learn the art of reverence, if we learn the art of the fear of God, if we practice these things and pursue Him, number one, your prayers are going to change. Number two, your service is going to change. Your honor is going to change. You're going to up your game. Why? Because you understand, I'm not doing it for me, I'm doing it for Him. All things done in excellence as unto the Lord. But if it's about you, and I can't believe they're not giving me the credit. Listen, man, just stop now. Get your priorities straight. And I can tell you that because I've been through it. You want to know what the greatest problems, one of the greatest temptations I face as a prophetic person is hearing somebody say what you said and they get the credit for it. And that thing wants to come up alongside of me and say, see, you should tell them you said that first. What's that going to accomplish? Come on, that's me taking credit for what grace gave me. Yeah, it's proud, it's arrogant, it's twisted, it's weird, but it sounds right. That's the problem with the way that sounds right to a man, is it sounds right. But its end is death. It can't be about me. It can't be about me getting the credit for something. So Abraham takes, I didn't forget. Abraham takes the knife, this angel calls out and says, Abraham. Abraham, stop. What's the angel telling? Now I know that you fear the Lord. Now I know you fear God. When you obey all the way, when it hurts, when it doesn't make sense, when it costs you everything, you obey even when you don't understand, even if it's hard. 
And I'm going to tell you something. The last few years have been the hardest, some of the hardest years of my life. And I've had victory and I've had loss. And I'll tell you the thing that I'm going after because I told Tim and I don't mind saying it. I have come up against intimidation more times than I can count. And there are times where I've steamrolled it and there are times where it's beaten me. And I've come up against the queen of it in the last couple of years. And I'm not tolerating it anymore. And I will expose it. Because I've seen way too many people not fulfill their call, let the gift fall asleep, get taken out because they were intimidated. No more. If I fear the Lord, I won't fear you. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I won't let you have greater influence in my life than God has. He wants his word to go forth. And there is a calling back. I'm going to tell you, and I, there's so many places I could go. Sweet mother. The spirit of Elijah is alive and well. And it's God's alarm clock. And it's ringing in this hour. And its goal is to call back to God, call the people of God back to his heart. It's a restoration ministry through repentance. And the greatest thing you watch in the next few years that's going to start to be preached is there needs to be a repentance again in the body of Christ for our our apathy, for the things we've tolerated, for the things we've compromised on, for the things we've let fall asleep. In the fear of the Lord, I'm telling you, do me a favor. Because after the Lord began to talk to me about this, he goes, I want you to go and watch what Carol Arnott said about the fear of the Lord. Carol Arnott was given a dream back in 2015. John Arnott's wife, you go watch it. She had a dream about the fear of the Lord coming to the church. And she was standing up there. She can't talk about it without trembling. And the fear of the Lord where she was came into this building. It's in a dream. She's preaching and pandemonium broke out. And she said this. If you're not willing to come up and get right with the Lord, run because I'm afraid for your life. And people ran out of the sanctuary and some ran to the altar. But there was one guy that was kind of stuck between the altar and the door and he's running back and forth. And God said, I want you to go up to that man, tell him, I haven't changed my mind about him. I haven't changed my mind about the call of God in his life, but he's in secret sin. He's sleeping with his secretary. Why? I promise you, you wouldn't do that if you had the fear of God. The fear of God keeps me from when Victoria's Secret is on the TV and you're not there. I don't watch it. There's not a single movie I'll watch that has sexual content in it. There's not an R-rated movie I'll watch. Oh, it sounds legalistic. No, it means I love Jesus. And I'm protecting that relationship in the same way I protect relationships with my wife. And I don't do things for my wife so she can say, I'm so glad you did that, Brian. No, I do it because I love her. And I'll tell you the freest place to be is when you can say, I love you and not expect it to be returned. Here's, Here's, I'll end with this. Here's why I got on this. One day, my wife and I are pulling in the church parking lot. Adam said, I want you to teach on how to hear the voice of God. I said, okay, I can do that. It's hard to bridle this donkey, though. I don't like that. But I, I will, as, as, as a good soldier that's underneath Adam, even though I'm older than him, I submit to him. 
I am there to make him better, not me better. I'm there to serve him. Yes, he's my best friend. And boy, that can bring contention though, because he and I see it differently all the time. You take a prophet and you take an apostolic leader and you put the two together and sometimes there can be friction, but we're called to work together to advance the kingdom. So I pull in the parking lot. My wife is reading this text message. She has the same expression on her face as she had when she lost her stepdad two years ago and her father three years ago. And that was an interesting season of life. And she said, I can't read this. I need you to read it. Now I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing, but I'm cruising through a parking lot reading this text message. And aside from Adam, who was my best friend from college through seminary, if I would have met Tim in seminary, we would have been, we were there, we just didn't cross paths. But my best friend in seminary, his wife texted my wife. We haven't heard from them in years. I just found out that Jonathan has been having an affair for the last six months. I'm thinking of leaving him. He's been, ha- he's been sleeping with a 20-year-old girl. Now, he's my age. He's 39. Sleeping with a 20-year-old girl. Says it's all my fault. And I'm just asking that you pray. And as I park the car, the fear of God hits me like a ton of bricks. Because here's what he was doing. So he works at Bryant College in Virginia. His wife is a, a teacher there. She teaches education. She has a PhD in education. He is a counselor there because he and I both have our master's degree from Asbury Theological Seminary. He got his master's in counseling. So he is not only a counselor there, but he also preaches in their chapel there. So he was helping this 20-year-old girl. And as what can happen a lot of times is people take on a savior complex and they, you know, things become emotional very quickly. And people have, people have vacuums, man. And as long as you've got vacuums, enemy's going to push buttons. But if you hook your vacuum up to Jesus, you can't suck him dry. So here's what happened. They, went, they wound up hooking up, shacking up, driving, meeting up. He would lie and say, yeah, I'm going to go get a milkshake at Sonic. He would come back. He would have panic attacks because his conscience knew what he was doing was right. Wrong. Sorry, not right. Definitely not right. Because and I'll tell you this. If you're not careful, you'll gray out your conscience and it will lose its voice. And the Bible warns about searing your conscience. And I don't know if this might go over like a lead balloon. And well, no, he told me not to say it, so I won't. But I, I will say this. I won't push the envelope. I will say this. It's not enough for you to say we have Abraham as our father and not do the deeds of Abraham. It's not enough to just say I prayed a prayer. So... Here he is, he's having panic attacks, his wife is comforting him, not knowing what's going on. Now, at the same time, the church that they attend, this United Methodist Church, the pastor there just got caught having an affair. They have him step down, and they put Jonathan in his place. Six months, 20-year-old would have her come over to the house and babysit the kids so he and his wife could go out. Now, you tell me how you can take this pulpit and be doing that 
in a time period like the book of Acts and think you're even remotely going to make it. You can't do that stuff and get away with it. Here's what happened. So it came out. Because here's the deal. Fruit is always going to mature. You will be found out. That's exactly right, sweetheart. Sometimes what's going on in our life is not because God willed it. It's you brought it upon yourself. So here's what happened. He gets found out. Text messages, all this stuff. By, by whatever rules and regulations, his wife has to report him to the university. So they report, she reports him to the university, tear-filled eyes. They fire him. Yeah. No, fired him. Fired him. She kicks him out of the house because he's not willing to repent. Now he's homeless and he's jobless and there's still no repentance in his heart. Yeah. This, this scares me for people. Wife has to stand up in the church where he was taking the pulpit. Because why? You can preach from your mind. You can fall back into like you're riding a bicycle, but it doesn't mean you're relationally connected to the Lord. So he's up there and he's, he's preaching. This stuff, I'm sorry, this stuff angers me. And God needs to work on me in this area. I need mercy in this area. He is destroying his children. The kids sat in front of their mom crying. Was what daddy said a lie all these years? Wife standing in front of the church, tears streaming down her face, telling the congregation what her husband's been caught up in. None of that's going on. You know what happened? He lost the fear of God. He became his own master. He thought this was right. And I've seen it had such a slow fade. Well, God wants me happy and this makes me happy. And my wife's just not doing it for me anymore. Listen, holy Moses. I hear it all the time. I'm just not in love anymore. Then you don't know what love is. You just don't. So I, I turned, I got to wrap up, it's 1230. I turned, <laughs> you prayed for this, you came up and prayed for me. Second Corinthians 7, I know I shouldn't ju- jump in where there's a therefore, but I'm going to anyway. Having these promises, beloved, look at this, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's Paul. That's New Testament. I'm going to tell you something. There's a holiness that only God can perform, but then there's a holiness you've got to do. And it's worked out in the fear of God. God will make you holy from the inside. He will make you holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, according to Colossians 1, 21 through 22. But you have to abstain yourself You've got to cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And there's a lot that we can say there. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, Proverbs 8. Pride 
arrogance and the evil way I hate, says the Lord. The Bible talks about we're coming to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. Therefore, let us offer up sacrifice and service with awe and trembling. Yeah, not because he's consuming love, for the Lord our God is a consuming fire. Now, he is love, so don't misunderstand me. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. And Romans 11 talks about the kindness and severity of God. And it says, if he did not spare those that were his promised people, what makes you think he will spare you that are branches grafted in? You can't play. It's not, well, just keep sinning so grace may abound more. If I understand grace, I'm going to live holier than those under the law. Because it's out of love. It's from the inside out, not from the outside in. Holiness can't be an outside in thing. It's from the inside out. It's what God has done in me that causes me to live differently outwardly. And when I see his love, and because I'm in love, I don't want to live, I'm just done living a certain way. And there are certain things that got lopped off after I got saved. And there are certain things along the way as I've matured in relationship with him. The abiding lifestyle, he's lopped things off that were dead and don't belong. And he's pruned the things that are bearing fruit that need to keep bearing fruit. But I'm telling you, so watch. Paul, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now that that was probably written almost 2,000 years ago. Moses. Consecrate the people for two days, because on the third day I'm coming. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Almost identical to what God told Moses to have the people do. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's my brother texting me food. Says, get in my belly. I don't know what he's trying to text me. (laughs) The next move of the Spirit will be the fear of the Lord. If Jesus delighted in it, Isaiah 11 3, it should be our delight. Now, I'll tell you something. He was heard, his prayers were heard because he offered them up with loud supplications. And he was heard because of his piety. But if you study the word piety, it means fear. He was heard. And I'll tell you this. When he was in that garden, when you get squeezed, it's what comes out of you. And when he's getting squeezed, you know what's coming out of him? His delight, the fear of the Lord. Because he will not disobey his father. It's obedience all the way. What you fear is what you will bow down to. What you fear is your God. And I, I'm talking for me, I can't afford to allow the fear of man have a voice anymore. I just can't. Not afraid of God. 
fearing him in such a way that you draw near. If you're afraid of him, you run. If you're afraid of him, you've got something to hide. The invitation was not just for Moses, it was for the nation to come up. Jeremiah talks about, I did not bring your fathers out in the wilderness to speak to you about offerings and sacrifices. No, he said, I wanted you to come out here, hear my voice, obey it. That was the plan. Plan was not law. Plan was obedience. Plan was faith. Plan was relationship. The promise came 400 years, 430 years before the law. The promise to Abraham. If it was about law, Adam and Eve would have got it as soon as they came out of the garden. It was always about what he, the, the foreshadowing of righteousness, the sacrifice that would cleanse and atone once and for all. But all the while, walking in relationship with God. But all the while, what's most of the Old Testament summed up as? Man's continuous just disregard, disobedience, not wanting anything to do with the Father. And because of that, it had consequences. And he's got to relate to them out of the covenant that he's in with them. But the fear of the Lord is not some archaic Old Testament mosaic thing. It's a New Testament reality. And it's all throughout. So I'll just I'll finish with this. Guys, if we get this, if we get the fear of the Lord, it will not be about you. You will see an increase into the service in this place. You will see a greater diligence. You won't have to police anybody. If we just get this, I, and I told you, God's bringing the defibrillator this weekend. It's time to wake it up. It's time to reclaim the things that were lost. Yes, I'm thankful for the grace of God. I am thankful for the love of God. I am thank- I'll tell you what, though. The fear of God has kept me from doing things that were offered to me. I won't. I wouldn't dream of it. I love him too much. I love my wife too much. I love you too much. I have seen leaders wiped out. And the attack just isn't against the head. It's what comes down and the people scatter. And I could share, I could share with you testimony after testimony. There was a guy at our church, fell back into a homosexual relationship fell in, that he was delivered out of and fell back into drug addiction. And the Lord had me go to him out of love and just share certain scriptures with him. And he's like, Brian, listen, at the end of the day, I hear what you're saying, but I just believe God loves me and he understands me. Listen, that is a dangerous place. There is a difference between God, there's a difference between God loving you and him being pleased with you. And you know what happened? He died. He overdosed on meth. His lover that he was sleeping with how, how would you like this for your ending? Took his body so many miles down the road, left him in his car for somebody to finally find him three days later. That's your end. And God loves enough to warn and say, please don't. I will love my girls all the days of their life, but it doesn't mean I'm always pleased with what they do. And Paul lived for the pleasure of, the, of God. <laughs> I need to have you on a recording. I just need to take you along with me. Oh, my goodness. All right, guys, you need to get your kids. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. All right. Let's just pray. We'll see where we wind up tonight, too. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, right now all over this room. I pray that you'd receive the repentance that's taking place in hearts right now. 
Father, I know that this is a hard word to hear. Father, at the end of the day, all I want to do is love people. I want to love you. I want to represent you. I really don't want to have a tone. And Father, I just pray that what comes out, God, is, is love. I pray that it comes from the motive of love. But I pray, Father, that if anybody gets anything out of this, I pray, God, that there would just be a reawakening, Father, that there would just be, that the spirit of the fear of the Lord would rest on this house in such a way that there'd be such a level of excellence, such a level of service, such a level, Father, of love, unlike anything they've experienced up to this point. Father, let reverence come back to the house of God again. Let love for you overtake everything that we do. Because I believe if we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, God, it's going to look like something. It's going to translate into every area of my life. It's not just going to be lip service. And guys, I want you to know, the Lord spoke to me one day, and I want you to hear this. Stop being impressed with what you know. Be impressed with what you live. So, Father, I ask and pray, Lord, that, and I'll tell you this, guys, theory will put you to sleep, but practice will keep you awake. Father, I ask and pray that this wouldn't be theory. I pray that there'd be a genuine practice of the fear of God. And I do feel it in this room, and I believe it resides upon Tim. And Father, I believe that there's a greater level and a greater dose coming upon that man. And I thank you for his, his desire to live a holy life, a sanctified life, a life consecrated wholly unto you, that fulfills the call of God, that fulfills the mandate, that says no matter what it looks like, God, no matter how hard it is, I want to hear those words at the end of the day. I want to know I'm pleasing to the Father. Even Paul said, we have at all times as our ambition, while in this body, to be pleasing to you. And Father, if that's true, then that means the opposite's possible. It means we can be displeasing. But Lord, I just ask and pray that we would repent of every displeasing thing. Father, you're the only one that can bring conviction. It's not me. Holy Spirit, conviction comes from you. If there's things you're readjusting that need realignment, need recalibrated, there's things that we need to change our mind about, I trust that you'll father us and you'll show us. But I pray that we wouldn't ignore that conviction. I pray that we wouldn't shut it down. I pray that we would cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. And I pray that there'd be a new level of holiness. I pray that it would be a relational holiness. And I pray that holiness would be fun. I pray that it wouldn't be a drag. And I think when people hear that word, there's an image that comes in their head. They think outward stuff. They think clothing. They think hair. They think all kinds of stuff. But I'm talking about a holiness that's rooted in love. A holiness that's rooted in relationship. A holiness that's rooted in the fear of God. Because we need the fear of the Lord more than anything else. We need obedience. We want to love you with every fiber of our being. Thank you for bringing change and transformation. Thank you for the word here this morning, God. I believe everybody in their own way was prophesied over this morning. Everybody, I believe, God, in their own way heard what was being said. And I pray that there be, a, a Father, a reigniting. I pray that there be a reawakening. God, I pray that, that people would be like, man, I really let that area in my life. I really let things fall asleep. And I just pray, God, that those things come awake again. In Jesus' name, amen.